Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, guys? Special episode here for you. Decided to get in touch with our great friend Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears to, uh, to kind of break down the first third of 2023 and what a disaster it's been. And this is something that I forgot to mention when I was talking to Lauren was that when we got together for this very similar episode last year, same time last year, we did it after six games last season as well. uh, We won the next game against the, uh, against the Patriots. And granted it was the last game that we won, but maybe, maybe Lauren and I getting together as a good luck charm for the bears. And they go out there and they perform out of their heads and they beat the Raiders on Sunday. So even though we talk a little bit about the Raiders, uh, and what's ahead, this this episode is mostly about what's been happening the last six weeks or maybe even the few weeks prior in the preseason and uh, and things like that. Lauren and I get in-depth with it. You guys know how we like to get long-winded when we talk about the uh, Bears and we're reviewing the seasons and, uh, and what have you. So sit back uh, and enjoy this one. It's myself and Lauren Cox reviewing the first third of this 2023 season on the Bearstock Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud and I don't know. I don't know why, but Lauren and I enjoy getting together and talking uh, about the Bears. And uh, we've finished a third of the season. We're six weeks into an 18-week season. So I figured since the NFL stole our 16-game season and, and we can't come in after every quarter, We'll just divide them up into thirds. So we bring Lauren in uh, from Locked On Bears to uh, to come in as always and uh, help us review uh, the disaster that has been the first six weeks of the season. Uh, Lauren, welcome back, man. It's an all too familiar place, yet at the same time, it somehow feels worse. Like I don't, I don't know how the, I don't know how the bar can get lower than it feels like it's been. But hey, Indeed. you know, I, I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. Well, you know, Lauren, it's 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 amazing because we actually are worse than we were a year ago at this time because we got together after the sixth game last year when we were just coming off that loss to the Commanders on Thursday Night Football in those awful orange, orange uniforms. But we were 2-4 and four after that game. Here we are, just a few days removed from our loss to the Vikings. We're 1-5. We had another embarrassing loss in a game we probably – could have and or should have won uh, where we kept giving opportunities back to the other team, like the strip sack that basically put it away and uh, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're, we're, we have a better roster or, or so we thought coming into the season. I mean, it's and it's not just a biased opinion of yours and mine as Bear fans. This is something that people were saying, hey, watch out for the Bears. Ryan Pohl's really putting something together, and then we'll just start at the top Week one against Green Bay happens, and that's probably the biggest gut punch 
in a Green Bay game that we've received since the start of 2019 when we thought we were going to the Super Bowl after, you know, the 2018 season that we had uh, in Nagy's first uh, first year. Yeah, I feel like it's so much of that is is based on the expectations, right? Like yeah. much of like why this whole season as a whole feels worse too is like it's not that like you said like it's not that the record is slightly worse than last year, it's that we thought they would be better. Like we went into last year kind of feeling like okay, this isn't going to be this, this is a tear down. We're tearing down. We yeah. maybe we didn't think it'd be number 1 overall pick bad, but we knew it wasn't going to be something that was, you know, going super well for this team. This year, as you were saying, like it wasn't just a Chicago thing. They were a popular team that, for people to pick as a as an improving team, maybe not a Super yeah. Bowl pick or anything, but a team that was getting that was going to be better. And so you come out that flat against Green Bay, and again, like expectations, the Bears should win this game. This is the Bears' opportunity to retake the NFC North and right. to unseat the Green Bay Packers and to have the better quarterback in the matchup for the first time in my entire, literally my entire lifetime, and to come out that flat and that ineffective, especially defensively, to have Jordan Love kind of cut you up pretty good there and the offense be yeah. kind of the same struggles we saw last year. That was, that was so disappointing. But, but I guess even, even then we still had that moment where it was like, well, okay, it was only week one and weird things happened week one. Maybe that was just a fluke. Like you can, we can sort of soothe ourselves a little bit at first yeah. and say, yeah, that was bad, but, but it is only week one long season ahead. They'll figure this out. Right. They always, they'll figure it out. Yeah. But I mean, and then, and that's held true for green Bay themselves. Because in the five games or the four games that they've played since then, they looked a lot more like the team that everyone was expecting to see. Yeah, they've got some talent. They'll have some flashes. They still have Aaron Jones. Christian Watson is a good player. Uh, and But they'll go as Jordan Love goes, which is you know why they lost that last game to the Raiders uh, and they were on the bye week this past week. And uh, whereas, the, whereas the Bears, on the other hand, have gone on to awe and astound its fan base by cranking out one unique performance after uh, another. You know, you, you have that. I mean, the Tampa Bay game, number one, wearing the orange unis, so you automatically knew it was going to be a disaster. Uh, we made Baker Mayfield look like the second coming of Brett Favre with all of the scrambling and eluding of sacks and uh, things like that. And then the capper, we have a chance you know, we're, 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 we're in this thing at the end, the touchdown pass, the one touchdown pass to Chase Claypool in his tenure as a Bear. And then we have the ball deep in our own territory, and Getze dials up the same screenplay of three plays in a row and gets picked off eventually, uh, and it runs in for a pick six to seal the game for good. And it's just like, okay, where is the ledge and when can I jump off of it? Because I, I, if that's what this is going to be, I, I, I want off this ride. Well, that's the thing about this year's Bears team is like every step along the way, they give you a little bit more hope. Like you had hope at the start of the season. It gets crushed against Tampa. Oh, boy, it's a three point game. Chase Claypool got a touchdown like they found out they've unlocked Claypool maybe. And, and they were getting a little bit more DJ more involved by the end of that game, too. Yeah. It wasn't great, but it was getting there. And and then, of course, you know, absolutely, absolutely crushed by that. But then I'm not, not to get too out of ourselves, but in terms of the hopes being up, Broncos game has plenty of that in that, too. It, yeah. it, the Chiefs game, not exactly. No. I mean, they, they had a, a decent drive there, but the Vikings too. Like, is the team that gives you that hope and then takes it away. And, and for some reason, we're the suckers that fall for it every time. I think like, you like it's different. Like last year when you know we just when they were losing eight games in a row, like we never really fell for it. Like they played the Eagles close, but we weren't sitting there going, "Oh, they're going to beat? Are they going to beat the Eagles?" We were like, "No, they're playing them close. That's cool. Like, yeah. they're still not going to win this game, but this is a good game. Like, I'm glad that was a good game. But it was never. I don't think we ever thought like they were actually going to do it. But 
they, we thought they were actually going to do it against Tampa and against Denver and a little bit against Minnesota. Like, and it's just, we, we keep falling for it. And I keep kind of waiting for us to stop, but I have a feeling they will against the Raiders this week too. Yeah. I got a feeling that's coming uh, as well. Cause I spoke to my Raiders guy uh, this morning and you know, I, I feel like the, the Raiders game and even the subsequent games that follow until we get to Detroit, they're all winnable because none of these teams have this juggernaut offense that our defense is just going to have a hell of a time slowing down. I mean, you'd think that the Raiders would be with Avante Adams, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, uh, you know, and everything, but they're going to be with a rookie quarterback, same as us, uh, in Aiden O'Connell. And, you know, the last time that he played, he got sacked by Khalil Mack six times uh, in a single game. So, you know, we might be able to get after uh, these guys, plus they have a lot of trouble scoring points. So I'm still picking the Raiders to win this game. But like in the confidence pool that I run with my listeners, this is like a, a two-point game, maybe three points at the most that I'm betting on on the Raiders to come away with the the win uh, in this one. I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves on that one, but it's just, you know, that's just how I feel uh, about this week is that that's what's frustrating is that aside from the Chiefs, who in the first like 10 games do you see like, Oh, that's going to be a rough game. Oh my God, I'm not looking forward to that one. It just there isn't one, and and yet we come out and we manage to look worse than we did the week before, or fi- like I said, find new and interesting ways to embarrass ourselves or lose a game uh, and everything. Like poor Cody Whitehair, he's got a viral uh, video out there of him blocking his own teammate at the line of scrimmage. It's like okay, so there's the 2023 Bears in a nutshell for you right there. Some of it too is just like the lack of learning from their mistakes or, or improve, you know, not making them twice. Like you mentioned the three screen passes in a row against Tampa. I don't know if you noticed in the fourth quarter against the Vikings, they ran three bubble screens in a row. It was much less disastrous, but Tyson Bajant threw the, the same three screen. The first one was completed and they got seven yards. Second one, I think was batted or dropped. And then the third one was, was aborted too. But like they, it was the same bubble screen on each side of the field three times in a row. And it, it again, just feels like Doing this, like, it's same thing over and over again with its offensive line, right? Like, this week they're looking at moving Tevin Jenkins back to right guard and Cody Whitehair back to left left guard and Lucas Patrick back at center. Like, they keep doing the, let's just shuffle the offensive line around like it's all willy-nilly, as though we haven't seen over and over and over again that not giving those guys some sort of consistency in the same position is making it more difficult for everybody. It, it's it's Like, I was thinking about this today. It's this cycle where it's like, okay, the offensive line is playing bad, so we need to move them to new positions. And then they move new positions, and it's like, oh, why is the offensive line playing bad? Because we move them to new positions. Yes. Well, then, so what should we do to make them better? Move them to new positions. Well, why are they playing bad? Oh, because we move them to new positions. It's just like it's it's cycling it itself to be a worse offensive line, and they don't they don't learn lessons. And we're just sitting there watching, beating our heads in the wall over and over again. It's like we're making the same mistakes over and over, and it's just. It's like, what are we doing, man? It's like that's where you get that's where you start to just give in, right? And that's what was what was um, what pissed me off about uh, or got me pissed at Matt Eberflus the other day when um, they were asking him about the issues that Cody Whitehair has been having with snapping the ball, and he attributed that to Cody switching positions. It's like Matt, I don't know if you realize this, bro, but he was actually on the team before you got here, and was on was a Pro Bowl level center. Uh, a few years ago. So he's not unfamiliar with the position. He knows what to do. He knows how to make the snaps. He's done it before. He's just not doing his job this year. So instead of covering for him, how about like, yeah, we're working on that. Cody knows he's screwing up. We got to fix that. So on and so forth. As opposed to being like, yeah, 
He's switching positions, and that's the kind of thing that happens when you're you're playing a new position. Let's see, this is not a new position for him. You know, he's played more games at center than he has at guard. What are you talking about? So, have you seen the Netflix show called "I Think You Should Leave" with with Tim Robinson? No, no, I haven't. So, so have you seen the meme on Twitter of the guy in the hot dog costume going, "We got to figure out who did this." Right. Yeah. It, so in the in that that skits reference that there's a, a a hot dog shaped car crashes into a store and they're all looking around <laughs> like who drove the car in here and the guy comes out in a hot dog costume and goes yeah guys who did this we got to figure out who was doing this and it's obviously he's <laughs> like that's that's Matt Eberflus right he's in the hot dog costume going yeah. who drove the hot dog shaped car into our offensive line right. we got to figure out who's doing this to us and it's like it's you man like come on so uh, let's talk about the week of week three. Because that Wednesday afternoon oh is, is a day that will go down in history uh, for the Bears. Because you have yeah. Allen Williams getting his house raided by the FBI. And for most of the day, everyone believed Hallis Hall had been raided uh, as well. Uh, Allen Williams resigns as our defensive coordinator after missing the Tampa Bay game for personal reasons. Uh, Justin Fields puts the coaching staff on blast as to why it is he's looked robotic and rigid in the first two weeks uh, of the season. And then we put Braxton Jones on IR for good measure and then cut and re-sign Nate Peterman all at the same time. Because like we were, I think that the Bears said they were trying to make a move and had to cut Peterman to make it possible, but it didn't happen, so they brought him back and everything. But it was a wild 24 hours for the Bears. Oh, yeah, and we're going on the road to play Kansas City this week after all of this nonsense. I mean, Good God, what a day, what a week that was. That week felt like a month. It did. <laughs> you know what I mean? It like, really I, did. By the time we got to Friday, I was just fried. It was just, that whole day was one thing after the other of just, it would, would the, yeah, your left tackle going in injured reserve and maybe missing the rest of the season. We don't know when Braxton yeah. Jones will be back. He might be out for the year. It was like the third or fourth most interesting, crazy thing that happened that day. Like that was just such a wild whirlwind of, of, and how that team was ever supposed to prepare and play the Kansas City Chiefs with any kind of dignity. I mean, the result, we thought it would be 40 to 10 anyway, so it wasn't a big surprise when right. 41 10 when that was the final score. But, like, of course, when all that happened, there was no way they were going to be able to overcome all of that. And, and yet, and I still feel like a lot of that saga is still unanswered, though. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like for sure. the Alan Williams stuff, like, we. Some of the reporting on that was, you know, Ian Rapport denied some of the stuff that had come out from the guy who reported some of it initially, but some of it they've kind of talked around. You know, they said, well, the police were not at House Hall today. Was, was uh-huh. That's how they worded the report. Yeah. Like, the police were not at House Hall today, which doesn't mean they couldn't have been there earlier. And, you know, so like the way that they denied things were worded very specifically to sort of avoid, to, to specifically deny some stuff, but maybe not categorically deny everything and then right. the way his resignation letter was written and the way they talked about him and not the way they haven't talked about him and mm-hmm. the fact that he had attorney help right with the letter i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of red flags here that stuff is going on and i think my my theory on all that is that like the adam Schefter's and ian Rappaport of the world are kind of waiting for law enforcement investigation to wrap up before they report anything, because you don't want to report it too early and be wrong and right. fame or or libel or slander a guy and then face a lawsuit or anything, especially when some of these allegations that have been floated out there are involved. Like, you don't want to be wrong about that. So everyone's waiting, and I think it's going to be like the off season. It's going to be a day in, like, February, and it's going to be yeah. like, oh, surprise, 
this, you know, there's been, I'm not even going to, I don't want to even speculate to risk anything, but you know, there's going to be a, an update there that might involve, you know, some sort of finality there and maybe a arrest or something. Who knows? Right. And, um, so after dealing with all of that, we go into Kansas city to take on the chiefs, but the game itself is overshadowed by the fact that Travis Kelsey decided to shoot his shot with, uh, Taylor Swift. And she actually showed up to Arrowhead and, the Bears and the Chiefs have some like record audience to watch our Bears get thrashed by Kansas City 41 to 10. And I got to tell you, Lauren, my favorite part of the game was when we put our semi concussed quarterback back into a 41 to 3 football game to score a meaningless touchdown uh, at the end of it. Because it showed me that, yeah, the Bears are moving on from Justin Fields because they obviously don't care about Justin Fields. <laughs> Why would they throw him into a 38-point deficit seven minutes to go? I don't give a damn how pissed he is or how adamant he's he is that he's fine. You're done. You've been taking a beating all afternoon. Have a seat. We'll take it from here. Nope. I'm going to go out there and throw this meaningless touchdown to DJ Moore. Well, good for you. Congratulations for all the good it did. Instead of it being 41-3, to it was 41-10. to Pat yourself on the back. Yeah, you got to protect your player at that point. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's one thing when it's a guy who wants to be tough or whatever and stand up for his teammates, and there's another thing when it's like we got to protect this guy from himself. And they certainly – that to me feels like a coaching staff that's trying to show ownership that they deserve to stay on the job. And and maybe you can, you can spin it and say you also need to see more from Justin Fields if you eventually want to trade him, right? Like, right. you move it on from him, but you leave him out there because he's trying to showcase to the rest of the NFL for his next team. And so, I, I mean, I get some of that, but – yeah, the the Taylor Swift stuff on top of that really just I don't know, it just it just made it it just made it worse. I don't <laughs> you know, know what if I mean? you, it's just like great. If you saw my tweet cuz I got about 4 minutes into the game and I was like, "You know what? You know what? It's like I like Taylor Swift's music, but the only thing that I want to see right now is Tremaine Edmonds come right across the middle and decapitate uh Travis Kelsey to knock him out of the game so we can stop talking about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and just talk about how the Chiefs are savagely beating the Bears into submission here. This is ridiculous. I'm over this already, and I'm a fan. I love Travis Kelsey. I like Taylor Swift's music, but I was over it before even kickoff. was just like, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. She showed up. She's here. She's in the suite. She's right there next to Mama Kelsey. Oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Who cares? What does that have to do with the game? Absolutely nothing. Well, Larry, I know you've you've broadcast football games before. As a broadcaster, when you got a game that's forty one ten or forty one three at that point or thirty five three, and you got nothing else to talk about, like I I could at least see from their perspective. Yeah, you know, Greg Olson and and Kevin Burkhardt, whoever was like, I I could feel for them. Like, hey, I if I was in their shoes, I would really appreciate having this to talk about because yeah. you run out of stuff to talk about in a blowout as a broadcaster and have. Anything well, helps, I mean, but for the viewer, it doesn't, especially when it was 34 to nothing at halftime. It was yeah. it was seven nothing at the end of the second quarter. I was like, ah, you know, they're going back and forth. It's ugly for the Bears right now, but it's only seven nothing. Kansas City's got the ball. We'll see what happens here. Like, oh, yeah, they would score five more times before the end of the quarter. It was 27 <laughs> points on the board. It's 34 to nothing. And like, and I, and I remember doing my knee jerk reaction and I'm like, I swear to heavenly Christ, if if I didn't do a podcast, I would not be watching the rest of this game. What is the point? We're down 34 to nothing. We don't have a snowball's chance in hell of coming back in this one. It's like so much for the 
you know, the, the uh, optimist thought of the whole us against the world because, number one, nobody was expecting us to have a shot in this game, all things being equal. But with after the week that we had, maybe this could be a rallying cry. Maybe this could be something that we could band together and see the team really come together and, and you know, put at least a good effort together against Canton. And no, obviously it was a distraction because we played like we didn't practice that week. It was awful. It was awful. You know, you said a, you said a sentence there towards the beginning of if I didn't do a podcast, I would not watch the rest of this game. And I'm wondering how many times in the history of doing this podcast you said that because I think there have been a lot of those where it's like if I didn't have to talk about this game, if I was just you know the, a Bears fan at home, like I would have turned this off a long time ago. But yeah, damn it, it's my job to sit and watch the end of this so they don't have to. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean. It was a lot easier to stomach last year. It was like the first part of the season, like around this time last year when we talked, those first six weeks, man, that was a rough watch. You know, even in that win that we yeah. had over the Texans, that was a tough game uh, to watch. Uh, that, that first loss to Green Bay, that, you know, obviously that game on Thursday night against the Commanders. Oh, man, that was all rough. But then it's like after that 10-minute break, we got that game against New England, and even in a losing effort for the remainder of the season, we were excited to watch him play because Justin Fields was going to do something uh, amazing. And then fast forward to this year, all of a sudden it feels like that's been coached out of him. And I, and I, and I get a feeling like that it's maybe a way of protecting him from himself because he got banged up and didn't finish the year for the second year in a row uh, last year. But we've, it look, it's like we've taken that page completely out of the playbook and all that dynamic electricity that he provided to the offense has been written out to make him a pocket passer and to protect him uh, going forward. And it's not even protecting him well enough to avoid the injury, no. right? Like that's the irony here is I, I agree. It's like, yeah, keep him in the pocket and try and be more of a passer and stuff and don't expose him to as much, but then he's still just getting exposed to as many hits in the pocket where, you know, at least when you're the runner, you're in a little bit more control of like, when you're going to initiate contact versus slide versus get out of bounds. And, you know, but when it's, when it's the Vikings blitzing you unblocked off the edge, or, you know, there's a stunt that gets looped inside, like you don't have anywhere to go in a pocket or someone's come from behind and you fall forward and you land on your thumb and it pops out. Like it's, yeah, it's not, it's not actually helping him in, in really in any way. And you, we would have thought after last season when, you know, like you said, like after the commanders game, they kind of switched up the offense and were fun. Like we haven't gotten to that. We sort of started switching up the offense a little bit against Denver and, and had some, but then like we got like back to the regular offense against Minnesota. You know, yeah, it's like what, it's, they didn't. I don't understand what the strategy is here at all. Like pick a pick a lane. Yeah. I, well, but the first lane wasn't working. But like we've done this before. Like we've been we went through this last year. Why why are we still figuring it out again? Yeah, and and you know it's like that was kind of like you knew that the that the organization was in shambles when. We are home underdogs to a defense that just gave up 70 points to the Dolphins the week before. We're home underdogs to this team. That's the opinion that Vegas, uh, that Vegas and the betmakers and, uh, and all that kind of stuff have of us and our ability is that, yeah, this defense just gave up 70 points to you know, a track team in, in, a, in a football uniform, but uh, you know the, the Bears are not going to be able to do anything against these guys, so... The, the Broncos are two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road uh, against, the, against the Bears uh, this coming Sunday. It's like, yeah, does it get much worse than this? Can there be a bigger insult than, yeah, they put up 70, but they'll still play well enough to beat you guys uh, on Sunday? 
it, it almost made the collapse and the loss feel worse then it, it, <laughs> in a weird way where it's like it's like we because you, you thought you proved them wrong and then you yeah. didn't and you're like god damn it <laughs> like if they just lost that game outright and they weren't favored it's like yeah okay they're right we stink but for a while it was like no you're wrong we don't stink and it's like oh yeah never mind yeah. you're right sorry i'll shut up now <laughs> i mean and i went into that game just hoping that you know they the the broncos were enough of a cupcake defense that we've at least for the first time could get it on tape what the offense is supposed to look like because you didn't see it against green bay because we got our asses kicked up front on both sides of the ball. We just got mauled by in the trenches against Green Bay. Week two uh, against Tampa, you saw it on the first drive, and then you saw it on the touchdown drive in the fourth quarter to Chase Claypool. Everything else was a crapshoot. I mean, how do you block a field goal and walk away with nothing uh, after that, you know, like in the Tampa Bay game? And Twice. then against Kansas City, yeah. it just didn't, nothing happened in Kansas City. In, nothing in Can- went right. Nothing went right in, in against Kansas City at all. So, you know, so I was like hoping in going into the Broncos game that at least we could put it on film. Be like, hey, see, we can execute. This is what it's supposed to look like. Even if it doesn't look anything like this against Washington, this is what we know we're shooting for. It's not us running against air in practice. Here's actual defense out in front of us, and we're doing what we want, moving the football. We're protecting the quarterback, creating a pocket in front of him, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And for three and a half quarters, we did that. And then the fourth quarter happened, and it all went sideways. And I, I just, I couldn't. It's like this is not happening. We're not doing this. This is not. Oh wait, there's the fump bit, and it picked it, and it, and it's, and it's tied. Oh my god, this is, this is happening. It is happening to us right now. I can't believe this. So, and it was that quick too, right? Like it really it was, just was. Boom, 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 boom. And you look up and it's like, oh shit. Like it wasn't like Jaws where you could see the, you know, the, the fin in the water sneaking <laughs> up and you're like, that's what the commander's game was for me, right? Commander's game, it was like, I could feel, it felt like the fin was going to come and they, you know, like yeah. Jaws is sneaking up on you, but they held on. But like you could feel it building up. But the Denver game, it was bam, bam, bam. And like it, the fact that it was really both sides of the ball, right? It wasn't just that, okay, offense implodes, but defense is still holding down Russell Wilson or vice versa. Like defense starts imploding, but the offense is still going shot for shot with them. Like, no. They filled on both ends at the same time. Like everything collapsed together. And that was when I was, I mean, I've been ready to fire the coaching staff for a while now, but that was the like, you got it. You got, if they, you're going to ever fire a coach in season for the first time in franchise history, like that was the time. Yeah. And that was when I, where, where I, like the fan base was divided 50 50 going into that Washington game about, do we want the Bears to win? Or are we actually rooting for them to lose so we can get rid of? Eberflus. And you know what, what What made me laugh the most about the firing Eberflus discussions was that people were actually concerned about who the Bears were going to bring in for the rest of the season. It's like, that's what difference does it make? The season is over. We just need someone to hold the spot until next year. This is not, unless the guy somehow manages to go 12 and 0, he is not going to be the guy next year. So it doesn't matter who comes in and runs the team for the last three months. It does not matter matter okay it's it's not like getting rid of Eberflus is going to solve all of our problems and we're going to be better and a fixed football team no it's over with we're looking at 2024 a month into the freaking season it doesn't matter who comes in to replace him it doesn't matter 
it was always about accountability. You know what I mean? It's not about, it's not about improvement. It's about saying, Hey, this is unacceptable and we're not going to keep stomaching it. Like, yeah, I, I heard a lot of the same thing. It's like, Oh, well, who's going to call the defense? Who cares? Yeah. Like, it doesn't like <laughs> someone hired Jeff Saturday from ESPN to come yeah. coach your team. You know, like it doesn't matter. Like this is not trying to salvage this season. There's no salvaging this season. Yeah. It's just about, it's about sending a message to the team and to the fan base and to the city and to the NFL that, Hey, we don't tolerate this kind of crap. Yeah, and it, it was it was just mind-blowing, the people that were, you know, because there were some people that were just pounding the table right away. Get rid of him. Iberflus is done. And we, you know, a great argument for firing him. We've lost 14 in a row, Coach. The last 10 of last year, the first four uh, of this year, and the first four of this year have been an out-and-out out disaster. Just one embarrassing performance after uh, another. And then the Thursday night game in, in Washington happens. And for the second week in a row, Against a a better front four, at least the you know the front four that beat uh, Justin Fields within an inch of his life on Thursday Night Football last year, um, we were protecting him. You know he had a pocket, he had all day to throw. We go right down the field to DJ Moore on, and which turns out to be a savage night for him. You know eight catches, two thirty, and three touchdowns. It's like this is why we gave up the number one pick for this guy right here. That's why we did that. I mean, and that was coming off of like 160 or, you know, and two touchdowns against the Broncos the week before. I mean, it was just, just like, yeah, this is why we got this guy. And, you know, the, the defense showed up and got turnovers, sacked Sam Howell five times, should have had him seven times. We let him squirt out of a couple of, of, uh, of sacks uh, as well. It's like, hey, we look like a football team tonight. How about that? <laughs> you know, we actually looked – this is what we were expecting to see. Not so much 40 points and all that kind of stuff, but protecting the quarterback that we because we had this quote-unquote improved offensive line. Being able to spread the ball around because we have DJ Moore to go along with Mooney and Komet and uh, Tunyon and everything. Being able to run the ball before Khalil Herbert had uh, to go out. 10 carries, 76 yards. You're averaging nearly 8 yards a carry. That is running the hell out of the ball. You know, it's like this is what we wanted to see or what we were expecting to see week one against Green Bay. And it took us five weeks and the coach literally having his shit packed and headed halfway out the door before we finally got our first win. It was, again, that like that hope, right? It's like, oh, yeah, see, like this is this is what we were looking for. This is what we were hoping for. This is what we were expecting. This is what this is what it was supposed to look like. And it, to be fair, like that, that is what it was, right? It's like yeah. we, with this bears team, when you have good pass protection and receivers making plays and Justin Fields feeling confident and a defense firing on all cylinders, like they can look pretty good. It's yeah. just like you, the ability to do all those things at the same time has been so few and far between. And that's why it feels like coaching when it's like, you can see the talent when all the talent is playing up to the level of the talent that you expect them to play at. The offensive mm-hmm. line looked improved. DJ Moore looked like DJ Moore. Justin Fields looked like Justin Fields. Like you're seeing the personnel not be the problem as much in those kind of situations. When the right. coaching is finally able to get it out of them, they just can't do that nearly consistently enough. And that's where, that's where it's so it's almost damning of the coaching staff even more. So when you oh, see it man. actually work for Just, once, cause you see that the players are actually getting their job done. Yeah. And then even damning for the coaching staff when they got a 10 day break and come out and play against a division rival and go back to what didn't work constantly with the bubble screens uh, and everything constantly leaving uh, an extra guy just coming naked, uh, you know, on the pass rush to kill 
uh, Justin Fields, not doing anything about making adjustments or you don't see Justin audibling at the line of scrimmage. Oh, that guy's coming. So, you know, somebody run into that area that he's coming from because that's where I'm going to put the ball. There's going to be a hole in the defense right there. Nope. He's going to step back, not even look at the guy as he's coming, even though he knows he's coming because that's what the play calls for and watch him get almost decapitated on the first play uh, of the game against Minnesota. And it was all downhill uh, from there. Hell, dude, we had to get our quarterback knocked out of the game and bring in this rookie preseason savior to score a touchdown in that game. <laughs> Only to then also give a touchdown back to the other team, which of course is how that always goes. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, that's the real frustration, right? It's like, it's the things that you and I can sit at home and watch and feel like are fixable and correctable. Right. It's not like we're sitting here thinking, man, they're throwing everything they can out there and they just can't come up like they need a they need some solution, but I don't know what it is. There's I'm not smart enough to know how to fix this team because they're just they're trying everything and it's not working. It's like, no, we can see like here's some simple basic things that they need to just be ready for and had ten days to be ready for and first play of the game, you're not ready for it. And it's hard it's hard to not just point it directly at coaching and worry how an undrafted rookie free agent's gonna do in his first start with this same coaching next week. Yeah. I mean, and that that's the thing. And, and I've been saying this actually since Nagy uh, was on. And you've heard me say this. It's like, how is it that it's so obvious to so many people and so many different kinds of people with varying levels of experience of the game? Like you and me. You know, me, the fat guy on the couch. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're in, in, in media. You work in, in radio and stuff like that. So you're around the game as well. Uh, we have our beat writers, you know, the ones that I follow primarily are Hogan Johns. Then you have like that after show with, or where, when it used to be with, with Olin Krutz and, and uh, Briggs and, and all those guys. And everywhere from ex-coaches, ex-players, all the way down to me, the Monday morning quarterback, we're all in agreement that this is what's coming. This is what you have to do in order to be successful. And yet we go out and watch the Bears week after week do the opposite. And it's so frustrating. Like, how is it so obvious to so many people, and yet you seemingly are oblivious to it? That's what is so frustrating about watching this team uh, week in and week out this year. And you hear them, like, at press conferences, right? And they're, like, asking Luke Getze about stuff that's going wrong with the offense. And, like, the, he always has the – it's like, oh, well, we didn't block that well enough. And then, oh, well, we didn't throw that well enough. And it's like any any one of those individual answers would be fine. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, on this play, like, when the blitz didn't get picked up, yeah, they needed to – yeah, we should, we were supposed to block. Like, we had the right call in, but guys just didn't execute it. And then it's like, oh, what about on this play? Oh, yeah, we had the call in, but they just didn't execute it. And it's like it adds up to, like, four or five of those. And you start looking around, it's like, well, well coach, like, if, if they're not executing – if you, you know, you're, you think you're calling it right and they're not executing it, why are they not executing it right? Like, the, the, these players are just going rogue and just don't know, like, are they, are they not getting coached up on how to do these things that you're apparently asking them to do correctly? Like, it's just, it, you never hear, like, you rarely hear the coaches go, ah, you know, I didn't have them prepared enough this week, right? right. It's always like, oh, we got to execute better. And when a coach says, we got to execute better, that means these players got to play better, right? That's not us saying we got to coach them better. It's these players got to play better. And it's like, well, whose responsibility is it to get them to play better? Because we've seen them all play better before. And when they're not yeah. playing that better, like it's not like we've never seen DJ Moore be good. And so it's like, oh, we wouldn't expect a guy who's never been good to be good. But it's when guys that you know are good and have been good elsewhere for other coaches or other teams or even other Bears teams, and then they're not doing it here and now, 
what's the what's the difference, right? It's yeah. it's the coaching staff that's here in the system, you know, it's, it's and how they don't at least like just outwardly take the blame, right? Yeah, you know what? occasionally they'll be like, yeah, we got to coach them better, but that's never the first thing, right? When yeah. they're like, coach, what went wrong in the game today? It's never like, oh, you know, me as a coach, like the head coach and the offensive coordinator should take the blame, right? You always, the co- okay, like unwritten rule of coaching, never blame the players, always blame yourself. Yeah. And they don't directly blame the players, but they don't really directly blame themselves. And it's like, it's a simple like accountability, like, yeah, we weren't ready or we, you know, we, we didn't coach them up well enough or we didn't do X, like we, the coaches didn't do this well enough. We never hear enough of that. Well, you know, to take it back a step, uh, one thing I forgot to talk about when we were talking about the Kansas City week was what I felt like was a long overdue uh, statement from Ryan Poles when he came out and had his talk yeah. with the media that Thursday about, you know, yes, this I, I feel good about this, uh, you know, this this roster. I'm very proud of it, and I, you know, I think that they're capable of great things, but. The preseason didn't go the way we wanted it to. We had some injuries. Offensive line was banged up, so we couldn't have Justin out there uh, for very much. It's going to take some time for this team to gel together. It's like, you know what? This would have been a great conversation to have three weeks ago before the season started because then maybe losing to Green Bay the way we did wouldn't have been as big a kick in the balls as it was, you know, to sit there and have to stomach that. You know, and just get embarrassed by Green Bay at home again with new with a new quarterback at the helm. You know, it's like where was this at the beginning of the season to let us know that hey, we're still expecting big things. It's like, but the preseason that this may take some time for the team to come together. They we didn't get to see this team on the field as much. Jermaine Edmonds was banged up. Other guys were in and out of the line. I don't think Demarcus Walker played a snap in the preseason. I didn't even know what his goddamn jersey number was until week one (laughs) against the Green Bay Packers. Like, I just didn't see the guy in the preseason. I'm sitting here discovering jersey numbers week one from my starters uh, against the uh, Packers for all that we saw these guys play in the preseason, and yet they had us believing going into that Green Bay game, we're ready. We're ready to take this on. We're going to do it and all that kind of stuff. And then, like, oh, yeah, we're staring down the barrel of 0-3 in Kansas City against the world champs, by the way. Preseason didn't go the way we wanted to. Uh, you know, Justin's still learning how to play uh, with other guys as opposed to being the guy that had to carry the team last year. And, you know, this team didn't get a chance to play together much in game time. So it's going to take a little while for them to gel together. It's like, this is all great. Where the hell was this three weeks ago? Well, it, I, I think it wasn't there three weeks ago because they didn't think it was going to happen that right. way. Right? Like, I think that that's very much a hindsight saying, like, one hundred percent, and I admit that. Yeah. I admit that one hundred percent. But it's just like at the same time, even a little bit, even a minuscule part of that conversation, if that could have been kind of mentioned in passing, going into week one, at least it would have been on record that you didn't think we were going to be gangbusters from week one. When and when no, been behind the scenes, you knew it was going to be rough in the beginning. I mean, just just making that statement says you knew it wasn't going to be all that you wanted it to be right off the bat. See, I, I think I think they thought they would come and play Green Bay and smoke them and go to Tampa and, and be two and zero heading into the Chiefs game. Maybe lose that game. Like I think, I don't think they properly estimated how much. Like I think that those are I think those are kind of like excuses for like why they got it right, why they didn't get it right. Like it's like they might be valid reasons and explanations, but I don't think they went into Green Bay 
not thinking like thinking it would go poorly. I think they look back and go, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, those injuries probably did hurt us more than we thought they would. So like they, they weren't going to go into Green Bay and say, hey, we might not start us so hot. I think they thought, oh, we, we're coaching these guys up. Like, sure, they haven't played in the preseason games, but they're practicing well. So these guys are going to be good to go week one. And then we get to week three, and it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, uh, yeah those injuries were really slowed us down quite a bit. And, yeah, we, you know, we're, we, we're, still, uh, we're still doing this. We, we really do miss Tevin Jenkins. I don't think we thought we would miss him uh, that much. Or, God forbid, what Port Nate Davis was going through in the first uh, – few weeks with his mom and, and all of that and a lot of really you know a lot of compassion from bears twitter while all that was going down yeah uh as well it was disgusting uh what some of those people were saying about him uh and everything uh it doesn't help that the bears weren't being very transparent about that i mean i know that's a personal issue uh and everything but it's just like you have a social media team so these people know what they're saying about nate davis and nobody wants to come to his defense they're just gonna oh he's out for personal reasons okay I don't need to know details, but, like, you know, what's going on? And then we didn't find out until the poor girl was practically in the grave that his mom's been sick and he's been tending to family business. Like, okay, I'm going to shut the hell up now uh, because, you know, that's what I'd be doing if I was him. Uh, But, no, we're just going to go ahead and let the fan base think what they want to think. It's like, yeah, showing a lot of respect for the fan base and what they can and cannot handle. It's, uh, you know, in, in today's day and age, there's no excuse for that. It's another like another example of like the poor communication from yeah. especially the Eberflus regime. Like it would have been easy enough. You wouldn't have to say, "Hey, yeah, uh, his mom is dying." You could just say, "He has personal reasons. He's dealing with a family health issue." Period. Like that would have yeah. that would have shut up the fan base. You know what I mean? But when it's personal issue, and there were these unsubstantiated rumors of you know him not getting along with Matt Eberflus yeah. and that they had been fighting during training camp or whatever and had a big blow up or something like that was, I've never heard that confirmed by anybody like super mainstream in terms of the reporting on that. So I don't, I don't know how much of that I fully believe, especially if, right. if his mom's been sick this whole time, like that would explain like most of the off season time away from the team thing. Like, you know, I mean, if this has been a longer term thing that, that to me is a reasonable explanation for all of it. And so right. like to, to not get out ahead of that, and to, to kind of communicate things on the front end, it's been that way the whole time under Matt Eberflus. And to, I think Ryan Poles deserves some blame for that too. It's his it's his organization. He's he oversees some of that communication stuff too. But they've not they've just not been good at getting out ahead of anything. They weren't out ahead of Alan Williams at all. They weren't out ahead on, on on Nate Davis at all. And it just those things all kind of stack up and add up. Well, yeah, and also that we didn't really know what was wrong with Tevin Jenkins until he was coming off of injured reserve. It was yeah. a leg injury. Okay, what part of his leg? His knee? His thigh? His, th- you know, calf? I mean, his toes? I mean, what's what's going on uh, with him? He's on injury reserve with a lower leg injury. Well, lower leg, so at least we're generalizing it a little bit. But what what competitive advantage do you have by saying it's a calf injury? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it, but whatever. So it's just... So after the loss to Minnesota, we're 1-5 now. Um, we've got four games coming up, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Saints, the Panthers, before our first beating at the hands of Detroit. And in these next four games, I don't think we're going to be favored to win any of them except maybe that Carolina game. But I view all four of these for at least that, for the flaws that these other teams have, we can compete in these games. But what's going to make it frustrating is that I'm sure we'll find ways to make that near impossible um, uh, in these in these games against the you know the Saints, solid defense, 
and they're they're basically the NFC version of the the Raiders. They got Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Alvin Kamara, Derek Carr, but they cannot score points. They are barely averaging 17 points a game right now. Same thing as the Raiders. They scored 20 points for the first time in beating New England this past weekend. That was the first time they cracked 20 in six games this year, which means they have a hell of a time scoring points. So it's not going to take much to beat these teams. But, you know, I just feel like we're going to go out there and put the wrong offensive game plan together to where we're not going to be able to score enough points for it to matter. And isn't that isn't that the theme though? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's that it's that lack of trust uh, across the board where it's like uh, all these teams are are beatable, but yes. beatable for for whom? You know what I mean? Yeah. Not not for this team. Like it, it's tough when you know you've seen the Saints and Raiders both beat the Green Bay Packers, and yep. when the Green Bay Packers stomp the Chicago Bears, you sort of do the quick math there and say, <laughs> okay, teams that beat someone who beat us, not good. Not like in my odds at beating the team that beat a team that beat us. Right. And so how do you, you know, how do you go in any of those games with any sort of confidence, especially depending on how long Justin Fields is going to be out? We'll see what the Tyson Bajant experience is like, but teams will key in on an undrafted rookie for agent here after a couple of games, have some tape on him, and then that's when, you know, even if he has a one game wonder, you never know how long that's really gonna last. He's not gonna be Brock Purdy, you know, so it's right. It's it's only going to be varying degrees of tolerable, and if they don't put Fields on IR, then that thing then that means they think it's four weeks or less, which could be the Panthers game back. And I, I agree, like the Panthers game is the one that I circle as like the next win mm-hmm. on the schedule, and then from there it's 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 pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. So, and then of course all the talk about what the Bears are going to do with the with the number one pick again this year, or, if, or God forbid, if we have one and two uh, going into the draft looking ahead at 2024 uh obviously everyone's kind of written off Eberflus he's done basically unless we go on a 10 game 11 game winning streak to end this season Eberflus is done he's out of here after this year the real question is uh will Kevin Warren send Ryan Poles packing as well you know that's the real question and it's kind of 50 50 depending on who you talk to yes he's gone they're gonna want to Kevin Warren's gonna bring in his own guy and start clean or it's like no you know, Ryan Poles has done a pretty good job with roster building, but you can't evaluate the talent because the talent's not being coached uh, properly. So you bring in a, another coach that's going to do the job better, and, you know, uh, Ryan Poles is, uh, you know, can keep orchestrating uh, these, uh, these you know, the offseason and, and bringing in the roster uh, building and, and all that kind of stuff. Where do you kind of come down on that? Should Poles go out with the bathwater as well, or uh, does he deserve a second chance to uh, – to get it right with the head coach. Yeah, I I'm I'm torn on it too. Uh like I I think he he done pretty well personnel wise, like Chase Claypool trade notwithstanding. Like right. you know, the draft picks have gone pretty well and no one does good in free agency. It's just of the goal is to just not have disasters. And right. we've avoided generally the disasters in free agency and and they're going to have to spend a lot of money again this year. And, and that's, again, a tricky game to play. Because teams that spend a lot in free agency don't tend to do well with it. So it's, 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 it's good flexibility there. And, but, but I'm also torn because, like, when you go back and listen to the quotes when Matt Eberflus was hired, right, Poles was, like, some of that was like, well, Bill Polian helped pick those guys, right? But, but, Matt Eberflus, or, but Ryan Poles said, like, 
Eberflus was on my list of guys that I wanted. And the moment he walked in the room for our interview, I knew he was my guy. You know what I mean? Like Brian Poles unequivocally was like, I picked Matt Eberflus. Bill Polian didn't pick Matt Eberflus. Bill Polian also endorsed Matt Eberflus, but Ryan Poles picked Matt Eberflus. And I don't, I don't know that I'd, fully trust him to pick the next head coach. Right. But, and then it's like, okay, do I trust him to draft the next quarterback? I mean, it's so hard to, it's so hard to know. It's hard to tell, but his drafting has been generally pretty good. And Bajit was a good find as an undrafted free agent. So, and I don't know, there's never a guarantee that the next guy is going to be any better. So I don't know for me, like, I feel like you could do worse than polls, but you could do better. And how valuable is that? I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Did you hear what Lance Briggs said earlier this week? No. About Caleb Williams? Mm. He's, uh, he was talking to, I think, ESPN uh, 1000, and there was like, um, you know, basically he assumed that, uh, that Briggs would take Caleb Williams if the Bears were at number one, and he's like, I'm not taking Caleb Williams. We already have Caleb Williams. We're not, I'm not taking another one. Why would I do that? We already have Caleb Williams on the team. You know, this, this uh, athletic quarterback with this great arm, that can, you know, scramble around the pocket and create opportunities. And we already got that guy. Why would I want to turn it over to a rookie, you know, and, and start over uh, again? He's like, I'm, I'm drafting a tackle at number one. I'm not drafting another quarterback. So he sounds like he would be like, you know, either um, Fashunu or Fashunu. How, how do you pronounce his name, the tackle from Penn State? I, I just call him the Penn State tackle. Yeah, Olu. the Penn State I tackle. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, you yeah. know, Marvin Harrison Jr. at number two. And now we're off to the races for, you know, for Justin Fields. We got his blindside protector and his other DJ Moore. Now we're really going to light up some scoreboards and uh, and all that kind of stuff because we're going to bring in Eric Bieniemy and we're going to learn how to run a goddamn offense by God uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, but it's like he was like, no, 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 thank you on Caleb Williams. It's not like, like no, I want to take Drake May. He's like, no. We got Justin. We already have Kayla Williams on the team, so let's hang on to him and keep building uh, around him. And honestly, I don't know how to feel about that because I'm a huge Justin Fields fan. I have been for a long time. Thrilled that we got our hands on him. You know, was really happy with how he played last year, despite how the team uh, played around him. Was expecting so much from him this year. And as we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes, it's not all his fault. But the things that are his fault are really his fault. And so it's like, I don't know if, if we do move. I'm so torn on the Justin Fields subject, way more than I am on Ryan Poles or Matt Eberflus or Luke Getze or, or, or whatever. It's like I would, I, would, I would lean towards keeping Poles, but it wouldn't break my heart to see him go. It really wouldn't. So, but Justin Fields, on the other hand, I am so torn on that. I can talk myself into either one for hours on end. I could talk myself you know, into one scenario or the other. Uh, for fields. Yeah. I, I find myself feeling not like I want to give up on Justin Fields, but it just feels inevitable that the next right. head coach will want his, his own quarterback choice. Like what it comes down to with fields is like, he's got one more year, I guess, plus a fifth year option on his rookie contract, but like one more, the fifth year option will be not, not expensive, but not cheap. You know what I mean? Like he's got one more cheap year then one more rookie contract, fifth year option year, and then another new contract. And that's just not, it's not enough time, you know, to get the new coach in, to get everything figured out. Like the timeline is just the circumstances around fields are making it so like it's hard to envision a scenario where they really 
keep him. I mean, I could see you keep him and draft a quarterback and have him be like the one year sort of bridge there. Like you don't have to trade him right away, but it's hard to envision a scenario where they move forward with him. They go through another draft of not taking a quarterback with having high draft picks. I don't, I don't think they can, especially with a new head coach. I'd be really surprised if they go through that whole process again of having that high pick and not taking a quarterback and then, not having that quarterback be the, the long-term answer there. And I, I'm not, I'm not totally sold on Caleb Williams either as like mm-hmm. the unquestioned number one pick. I haven't done a lot of film work on him. I just, from what I've seen, even before this last game where he actually played pretty bad, um, I, I'm still not totally, I haven't done enough work on all the quarterbacks, but I still feel like if I've got two picks in the top five, I'm damn tempted to draft two quarterbacks. <laughs> draft two of them, have them compete, whichever one's better you keep. The other one you can still trade, and you're going to get a first-round pick for that guy. It might not be the top five pick again, mm-hmm. but you can get another first-round pick for that guy, and it's basically an insurance policy that you know the, it's worth it to me to essentially trade whatever your second first-round pick is this year to essentially like trade down for a future first-round pick on the insurance policy that one of these two quarterbacks has to be good. They're not going to both be bad, whether it's Williams and May or Williams and Penix or... You know, McCarthy, take your pick of the quarterbacks. It's not important. Just take two of them in the top five. Make sure you get one that's good, and the other one will still have plenty of trade value for a long time. Yeah, I've also seen, like, a, a mock offseason uh, online where, you know, we, we, we bring in the enemy, we, we, we trade fields to Atlanta because why not? The Falcons need a quarterback. Desmond Ritter's not the answer there. And, uh, you know, change of scenery, send fields back home to Georgia where he's from. Originally, we take Caleb Williams, and then in the fourth round, we do a Robert Griffin, Kirk Cousins thing. We draft another quarterback in the fourth round, like day two, day three, and you know maybe that ends up being the guy, kind of like it happened with Kirk Cousins, because Kirk Cousins had the career RG3 was supposed to have, and RG3 had the career Kirk Cousins was supposed to have, and uh, you know maybe that the Bears would do something like that, like they get Williams either get uh, Harrison Jr. or the tackle with the second uh, pick. I, I've, it's very popular to see the Bears taking that center from Georgia uh, in the first round or in the, with the last pick in the, in the second round or the first pick in the second round, uh, Van Pran or Van Pran or something like that. Something like uh, that, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, for him to do that and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, uh, yeah, I, I go back and forth on it, and that's what really sucks about Fields getting hurt is that now that time, that all-important time to evaluate, is he the guy? And we just need to get somebody in here to coach him properly or to run a, you know, a system that's not going to leave him hanging out to dry uh, all the time? Or is it like, yeah, no, he's, he's a bust. We're going to send him out somewhere else. Because I've, the other thing that I'm seeing is that everyone is certain Justin Fields is going to have a good career in the NFL, just not in Chicago. So as soon as the yeah, Bears which, trade him away, he's going to be a pro bowler and everything that he was meant to be uh, in the NFL as soon as he gets away from Chicago. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of that too, and I, I that reflects how many people are rooting for the kid, right, and had, yeah. had high hopes for him in the draft. But like, as much as like I, I like the idea of him in Atlanta with B. John Robinson and Kyle Pitts or whatever, <clears throat> or whatever um, I don't think Arthur Smith is the coach who's going to just like – be the genius for Justin Fields. You know what I mean? So it's, I, I'm again, like, sure. It, it, we all like the idea. It's a green, the grass is always greener on another team, but sure. like we haven't seen Mitch have that big unlock either in Pittsburgh or Buffalo. Like he's been a fine backup, but no teams are clamoring to start him yet either. It's yeah, it's, it's always greener. And I'm rooting for him to have success somewhere else, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite there yet either. Yeah. It's uh, you know, and like I said, that's what sucks about him being 
hurt, whether it's two weeks or 10 weeks. If he has to have surgery and he's done for the year, that would really, uh, you know, screw things up or, or really put the Bears in a grind. Or maybe it would make things so much easier for him. You know, we can't depend on him. He was banged up year one. He, you know, didn't finish the season last year, like the last, at least the last two games, wasn't it, that he didn't play? Or yeah. he left the one, the second to last game or whatever it was. I know he didn't play against the Vikings in that game. Um, so, or at the end of the season. And then here he is uh, again. He's still making mistakes. He can't properly run uh, the offense and so on and so forth. And he can't stay healthy. Uh, these are all red flags when it comes to Justin Fields, which makes him a harder sell to another team. And, uh, you know, we got to get him back out there so we can evaluate him properly to figure out what, what the next step is, even though it's pretty much, you know, like you said, I don't see them bringing in another head coach and then sticking him with Justin Fields. It's it's not like they're going to do with, with Jay Cutler where he somehow survived three head coaches uh, before we finally uh, got rid of him. Three head coaches and two general managers before he was gone. Uh, you know, it, I don't think that's going to happen. So well, it helped that he was on a seven-year contract. It did. <laughs> you know, the little, did. little more locked in that, then. that Emery gave him this asinine contract that he gave him instead of going cheap with uh, Josh McCown, who could do the same thing for a lot less money uh, and yeah. everything. Hindsight being twenty twenty uh, and all, but oh man! So, like I said, we we got these these next four games, and then Detroit, and then I'm not sure off the top of my head what we have after. Detroit. Isn't it Detroit, Minnesota, or is there a game between Detroit and Minnesota? It's Detroit, Minnesota by Detroit. <laughs> right. Yeah, there it is. Minis- yeah, Detroit, Minnesota by week, Detroit. Then we get to go to Cleveland, and uh, just, you know, this is a team that shut down the 49ers uh, a week ago, uh, who averaged 33 points a game going into that one and held them to 17, which is always fun. Arizona Big win for Bears legend PJ Walker. Indeed. Yes. Yes. God damn. I think maybe that was the <laughs> omen that this season wasn't going to go the way that we thought it was going to. I was really excited when we signed PJ Walker because Me I too. thought it meant we were going to have like Justin Fields light coming off the bench. If Justin Fields got hurt, we wouldn't have to change up the system. He likes to scramble around. He's got a decent arm. We wouldn't really have to change up the offense at all with PJ Walker coming out off the bench and everything. And this guy was an absolute dumpster fire in the preseason, which just added to the prestige of uh, of Tyson Bage and everything that he did in the preseason. Well, and well, to your point though, I mean, you were right; they didn't change up the offense at all. You know, they brought in PJ Walker and didn't change the offense up at all. They just didn't change it up at all for Fields either. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just, uh, but you know, you look at these games, and like I said, we got Vegas, we got the Chargers. Next week, if they were going to flex that one, they would have had to make that decision already, wouldn't they? Or, yeah, I think it's two plus weeks in advance. Yeah, okay. Because my my dad was telling me that you know they've been talking about flexing the Bears out of these uh, national TV games. It's like great, get them out of that Thursday night game. That'd be awesome, and and especially get them off that Monday night game. Uh, you know, because you and I both have tickets to that Kiss show, and we don't ha- want to be checking our phones during the performance to see how how good or bad it's going. Uh, against the Vikings, yeah, I just I just want to be able to rock and roll all night. You know, I don't need to be checking the game. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, week twelve, that is the first week that the NFL can flex Monday night games. And you and I were talking before we started recording. As like, if there was a reason to to root for the Bears to tank and for the Vikings to tank on top of it, 
is for them to just be two abysmally bad teams that the NFL is like, you know what? I don't want this to be the only NFL game on TV right now. Let's go ahead and flex them back to Sunday afternoon, and we'll throw somebody in here who might actually be playing for a playoff bid instead. Let's find somebody that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman can actually like get excited for and have a, yeah. make it worth ESPN's time and right. we waste all of our time. You know, turn it into the the Buck Aikman comedy hour. You know, just trying to fill the time and get through the sixty minutes uh, they, for it. They, they would desperately need Taylor Swift in the crowd for sure they for would. that game. Absolutely, they would need uh, the Vikings to trade for Travis Kelsey or something like that to uh, <laughs> to make that. Uh, she, she she got she's yeah. got to dump Travis and start dating T.J. Hawkinson. There you go. Do it. There you go. She <laughs> likes them tight ends. So, yeah. or did, did that one, who was it that, that tried to start the rumor that she was dating Jack Sanborn? Oh yeah. Oh God. I mean, at least Cole Komet, you know, how about that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, which would be interesting because doesn't, doesn't like, Cole Komet have a girlfriend? I, I try not to pay attention if I can. Yeah. Well, no, it's like, I thought, and the only reason that I kind of remember that is I think he was dating somebody's sister. Or something. Oh, like that a, sounds right. Like another athlete's sister. Yeah, like, like yeah. another, like one, like a somebody on another team. His sister's Cole Komet's girlfriend, or maybe, maybe vice versa. Somebody's dating his sister, or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but that uh, sounds right. But either yeah. way, they should break up, and he should start dating Taylor Swift. <laughs> there you so, go. You know. The hell with yeah. it. Let's do it that way. But looking at this schedule, I mean, can we win a game between now and Carolina? Uh, I mean, is Carolina our next best chance uh, to win? Uh, a game, I just, you know, I, 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 like we've been talking about for the last hour now, I don't know what to expect from this team. I really don't. I, I can't trust them to, like, you know, there's that word, trust. I, I don't trust them to win on Sunday. Can they win? Yes, absolutely. They absolutely can. Will they? Oh, boy. I, do, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Or, you know, what about you? I, yeah, I I trust is the right word. It's like sure, all three of those teams are beatable, but they're all a heck of a lot closer to five hundred than the Bears are. I mean, the Raiders are five hundred. The Saints are, are playing on Thursday night football as we as we speak and right. are losing and may drop below five hundred. So, but they're about a five hundred team so far, and the Chargers are just a half game under five hundred. Like all three of those teams have played close games against good opponents and lost, and you know, like the Bears have not. <laughs> so, yeah. like that's the that's where it feels like. All those teams are a tier above the Bears right now, but mm-hmm. if you could just get that performance you had against the Commanders, they could beat any of those three teams. It's right. just exactly. the consistency with which they can play at that level is just not it's not there. So I'm I'm I guess we don't go to each of those games. I'm not going to predict a Bears victory until Carolina. No, right. And the thing is, having seen the Washington performance, you know what this team is capable of. You know when they don't go out yes. there and hurt themselves with stupid penalties, stupid turnovers, uh, and everything, or at least when it looks like the coaching staff is humming. Because Eberflus stayed aggressive on defense throughout the game, and we finally started cracking through and getting to Sam Howell. Most of those five sacks came in the second half uh, of the game when it was getting to be important. You know, like when you said, the dorsal fin was out of the water, and here they come, done it, done it, done it. Oh, no, we stopped him. We got the interception, or Terrell Smith forced that fumble where he ripped the ball out of the tight end's hands to recover it and kill the drive and uh, and all that kind of stuff. You know, you you know that they're capable of this, but you can't depend on them to come in and do that week in and week out. I mean, and the worst part of it was they had that performance against Denver and then did it again against Washington, but eliminated the mistakes 
and they won. It's like, okay, so we had progress, and then we progressed on the progress. You know, it's like, you know, there yeah. we go. We, we, we figured it out, or one would think or hope that we did it two weeks in a row. When's the last time the Bears did that? You know, that we looked good, we looked sharp, or that we improved upon our improvement the week before. It's like, okay, did we turn a corner on offense in the Denver game? Nope, because we came and slammed right in the head into a brick wall against Minnesota, started doing the same old stuff with the bubble screens and, and leaving uh, fields out there. And, and you were saying after the, the Denver game that you wanted to fire everybody. My moment for firing everyone came from Getze that week going into the Washington game when he called Fields' uh, strip sack a learning opportunity for Justin Fields (laughs) because they knew going into the play that guy was coming naked. He was coming free or dirty as they, as they refer to it. And that it was Justin's fault because he was supposed to be at 10 yards when he was going to make his throw. And he was only at seven. That's why the guy was there so fast. And he cited the last touchdown drive where the exact same thing happened the guy came free, but Justin Fields made a miss and threw the touchdown pass to Khalil Herbert. It's like, if you go back and look at it again, Coach, the difference between those two plays is when Fields faked the handoff to Herbert, the edge rusher froze, therefore stopping, giving Justin the time to move around, elude him, and find Khalil Herbert in the end zone for the touchdown. That guy came and was coming no matter what, because that was also a play fake. He didn't bite on the fake this time. He knew we weren't running the ball. He came right for Fields. Fields could have been at 7. He could have been at 10. He could have been at 17. That guy was going to be up his ass, <laughs> knocking the ball out of his hand and scooping it up for the touchdown. You knew that was going to happen. You let him do it anyway. Not call a timeout or call an audible, do something, or run the ball away from him. Something. No. We're going to have him drop straight back right into the pass rusher, and we're going to call it a learning opportunity rather than my mistake. We should have called a timeout. We should have had him, you know, do something different, call an audible at the line of scrimmage. No. But Justin, you know, he knows now what he's not supposed to do or what to look for, how to handle that. And he said the same thing about play number one against uh, Minnesota. Justin knew that that guy was coming. And, you know, Kari Blasengame was his first check or whatever, and he just didn't get rid of the ball, and he ended up getting sacked. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. It, it's, it's once again, like, it, first of all, it's blaming the player, right? It's, it's, I mean, he's not, he's not outwardly saying, I mean, he, he is, but he, he, he is blaming the player. He's trying not to be mean about it, but he is saying, like, oh, yeah, that was the player's fault, which also implies, like, we, the coaches, are getting it right. Yeah. It's them, the players, who are getting it wrong. If they just did what we told them to do, they would be successful, but they're not doing what we tell them to do. Is yeah. sort of like between the lines, the undertones there is, oh, yeah, Justin's got to learn from that and do that differently or better. And it's like, well, even if even if you really genuinely think that, you still don't say it that way. Right? You just say, yeah, we got to call a different play there. You know, we got to put Justin in a better position to be to be successful. Like you lie. Like lie then yeah. just to take the blame on yourself and not the player. Like that's like coaching PR 101 is blame it's just it's that kind of shit that's those are little things, yeah. but it really does add up. You're absolutely you right all man. season it's, long. If he wants to rip Justin up up one side and down the other behind closed doors, 
go ahead, knock yourself out. If that's what you honestly believe, that he was the one that screwed up on that play, here's what you need to do and you didn't do it, fine. But to be that honest with the press and be like, yeah, I made the right call. I don't know what the hell he was doing. We, <laughs> he knew what he was supposed to do. And, in fact, he did it right earlier in the game, and he managed to screw it up at this critical point, and it ended up costing us the game. That's all on him. That's him. He'll, he'll know better next time. This was a learning opportunity for Justin. I wanted to throw my laptop across the room when I read that. Like, I could not believe he actually said that out loud to, uh, to, you know, to our beat writers. You know, by saying, yeah, that's, that's on Justin, man. He really screwed that one up. I, I, that was where I was like, that's it. I'm done with these guys. Fire them all. Eberflus hired this guy. He's going right along with him. That's it. I'm done. And that's where I was like, yeah, I kind of half-assed really want us to lose badly against Washington just so this can be – just so this Friday can be Black Friday for this coaching staff and we can start over uh, for the rest of the season and just try to figure it out from there. Because if we go ahead and fire Eberflus, expectations are gone. We're just watching to watch the game. We're not watching thinking we're going to go and we're going to win this one or we're going to compete here. And it's like the season's over. It's time for 2024. Okay. I'm going to be neck deep in mock drafts for the next 10 months waiting for the, you know, to find out what's going to happen uh, here. I'll, you know, I'll be Carolina's worst anti fan for the rest of the season so we can keep that number one pick uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, but, you know, we, we go ahead and we do what we did against Washington and that kind of reset the board at least for a week. And if you're frustrated enough to throw your laptop, right? I mean, metaphorically speaking, how do you think the players in the locker room feel? You know, that's what I keep coming back to. Like Those guys aren't idiots. They know a lot more about football than we do. They're watching the tape, and they know it. And if all the former players and coaches are seeing it, you think the current the current players are seeing it too? Like you know, I mean that, and they're do they're they're being loyal soldiers who who are saying the right things and going along with it because you got no choice. What are you going to do? Rebel in the locker room? Like that's not going to go anywhere. You have to just do what the coaches say because that's your job. But those guys are smart. Like not saying every player in the locker room knows, but a lot of those guys know when they're not being put in good positions. And the more you lose, the less the less they're really going to be truly bought in, and the more they're just going to have to pretend to be bought in. So what do you think? Three and 14 again, or can we squeak out uh, a win against Arizona towards the end of the year? Maybe steal a cold weather game over the Falcons when they come to town kind of thing. I mean, you know, yeah, because when we were talking at the beginning of the season, it's like what's wild about this team is that I feel like the floor is six and the ceiling is like 10 or 11. Now I'd be thrilled if we won six games this year with the way we're playing. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I think between yeah Arizona and Atlanta and maybe even the the second Vikings game, I just don't think the Vikings are that good. Yeah. I mean, between those three, I think you can steal a, a third win from there for sure. And then it's a matter of, like, can you get a fourth? Because I think Carolina is one, you know, and of course the one they already have. And then, yeah, I mean, if for some reason Green Bay is totally out of it by week 18 and they're not really playing for anything, could you sneak kind of a lazy one from them? I mean, they'll probably come to play for that one, so I'm not – Super confident there, but there's there's options there between now and then. Some of the, between them and the Cardinals and the Falcons, the Packers, like somebody can drop off over the next ten weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, and this is, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the schedule, and this was making me nuts. It's like, aside from those games against Detroit and maybe the Browns, no one on this schedule scares me, Lauren. No one. Nope. No one on this schedule scares me, which was the other reason I was excited about what could be done this year. It's like because the, look at this schedule, man. The AFC South and excuse me, the NFC South, the AFC West. Okay, Kansas City is the only team out of those eight that I would even be remotely concerned about, because even Tampa Bay and and yes, they're playing well 
uh, right now. Without Tom Brady, they were even 8-9 and nine with Brady last year. Are you kidding me? It's like this is, this is not a juggernaut team. We don't really have anyone to worry about. You had the weak, you know, the, the erogenous Green Bay team. Minnesota's obviously a team in transition. Aside from the Chiefs and those two games against the Lions, and this was before Cleveland really showed their prowess on defense, nobody on the schedule was like, dude, I'm having trouble not making us like 13-4 and four looking at this schedule right now. And yet, it has been nothing but a disaster, and, and everything we try to do goes sideways uh, on us, or the coaches make the wrong call, or they come in with these baffling game plans like, hey, by the way, Minnesota blitzes 60% of the time, so maybe we want to prep for that. And then the very first play of the game, we don't look like we're prepared for a team to blitz three out of every five plays. And it, it's just happening over and over again. And like I said, right now, I'd, 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 I'd put up Eberflus for coach of the year if we won six games or five games with the way that we played <laughs> these first six games of the year. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's not like the other gauntlet of teams, you know. It's not like I, I, one of the teams on this the bear schedule played a bunch of tough teams this year. I don't remember who it was, but it's not like they're playing the Eagles and the Bills and the 49ers and yeah. you know like all these Super Bowl contending playoff teams. Like it, it's it's yeah, it's the Chiefs and and the Browns are looking good right now. Although I, we'll see how that lasts over the next the next ten seat the next ten games or so. But like if this team if this Bears team played at the level that they did against the Commanders in every game for the rest of the season. Yeah. That 13 and four number is not that crazy. You know what I mean? Based on what we know about these teams, it's a bunch of borderline playoff teams, if not out of the playoff teams, like it's, it's, it's as favorable as you could get. And the fact that they're so bad against an otherwise fairly favorable schedule is just that much more damning. Yeah. It's that much more fuel uh, to the fire. So last thing I want to talk about before I let you go, because it's just around the corner is the trade deadline. And with us one in five and, and staring down the barrel of one in six with Vegas, coming to town on Sunday. If we are sellers, who do you think's going? You know, everyone says Jalen Johnson, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm torn on that because I, if not for, if he didn't have the injury question, I would be all in on Jalen Johnson. Like that's the only thing for me is that every year he gets hurt and has not finished a full 16 game season. And I'm, it's hard for me to give a long-term contract to one of those players. But at the same time, the bears have, $100 million in salary cap space. And I don't want to spend $100 million on free agents. Like, yeah. I would much rather spend that on guys that you know already that are on your, like, pay Darnell Mooney, pay Jalen Johnson, pay these guys that, sure, I mean, Darnell Mooney might never be a Pro Bowl wide receiver, and Jalen Johnson might not ever be a Pro Bowl cornerback, but like, I would rather invest in those guys that I know what I'm getting as opposed to free agents that most of the time don't work out. So that makes me want to pay Jalen Johnson, mm-hmm. but I don't trust him to stay healthy for a full season. And so I don't know that I want to pay an injury prone player, a long-term contract. So then if I'm not going to pay him, then I might as well trade him. You know, so that's where I'm, I'm so stuck on it, but he kind of feels like the only one that has real value that I would consider getting rid of. Like, I don't think they're going to trade fields as long as Matt Eberflus has his job. He's going to keep rolling with fields to try and win as many games as possible to keep his job. Yeah. You know, they don't have any kind of extra depth on either of the lines. They're not going to trade any of your linebacker. Like they don't really have a lot of other guys that, would be candidates that that would be valuable to another team and also replaceable on this team. I mean, maybe Khalil Herbert if he was healthy, but or, or Don Foreman if he if he keeps running well. But you're going to get a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick. Like a, I think it'll be a quiet deadline as sellers at least. And this there's a young player they want to buy in that's hopefully better than Chase Claypool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the only other name that I've heard 
that might be on the block is is Mooney himself. Yeah, that you know, pay him. His, yeah, his productivity is is gone down because of DJ Moore. It's like it's not because of DJ Moore. You no, know? it's like where was his productivity last year when we were a god awful football team? It's like he was hurt from like week week ten on. He didn't finish the season. His productivity was down because we were terrible. We had the worst passing game in the league last year. So yeah, of course his productivity is going to fall off. We 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 couldn't throw the ball. Last year, that's why Justin Fields had to run for twelve hundred yards last year just to keep us in football games uh, and everything. So it's like I'm with you. It's like I don't want to get rid of Mooney. I don't want to trade him uh, or anything uh, like that. It's like I, I want to bring in a new coaching staff and start over again. Is what what I want to do because I like this team. I was really excited about this team. Tremaine Edmonds, T.J. Edwards, who are really starting to pick it up lately, and that's the other reason why I feel like these games are winnable. Is like despite it all, the last two weeks the defense has performed well. The defense yeah. has forced turnovers. They've gotten after the quarterback uh, and everything. We've we've seen marked improvement from the defense the last two weeks. And so if the offense can get it together, it's like being on the Lovey Bears again. You know, we got this all world defense, or we got this defense that's far outplaying the offense, and we really don't need the offense to do much. And they still can't do that. I think <laughs> we're we're back in those days uh, again, or at least that's what the last two weeks. Uh, have told me with the way the defense is played against Washington, against Minnesota, that they're on the uptick. Meanwhile, the offense has gone off a cliff. Yeah, I'm I'm hesitant to get too confident in the defense, only because it's you know a Minnesota team without Justin Jefferson and the Commanders. They'll probably right. play well against Aiden O'Connell this week, but right. the Chargers and Justin Herbert feels like one that's a little bit scarier to me. Not that they're great, but they're good and they're top 10 in scoring like they're good enough of an offense that I think that that could be a potential shootout situation where that'll be that'll be the real test of this defensive progress like yeah. the Raiders we'll see but they're playing against some lower quality offenses which is good to build that conference and get guys comfortable and then we'll see when the real tests come and maybe they can be a little healthier by then so yeah well tell you what we'll talk about it during the bye week uh after the Minnesota game once our ears stop ringing uh from the <laughs> kiss show we'll get together and and talk about the next uh, six games, Vegas, Chargers, Saints, Panthers, Lions, and uh, Minnesota. And, and hopefully we'll be able to field the team after that massacre in Detroit and, uh, you know, be able to, you know, do that one uh, the right way uh, kind of thing. But uh, we'll see you back here, uh, you know, during the week 13 uh, bye. And uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One, and you can hear me five days a week on the Locked On Bears podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears. Appreciate you coming on, man. Always have a great time. Uh, basically, shouting at the moon uh, with you when it comes to the yeah. uh, to the Bears. Um, you know, you've been coming on the show uh, for a while now. Not much has changed in all that time, but, yeah. uh, you know, at least we can hold each other's hands as we go off the edge. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, misery loves company, man. Thanks, thanks for having me. Amen. Always loving having Lauren on the show and uh, talking bears. And, uh, you know, like I said, like he said there at the end, misery loves company, you know, just somebody to hold hands with while you're on the way off the edge of the cliff uh, there. At least that's what it's been like ever since we started having Lauren on the show way back in 2016 uh, now. But um, still always have fun talking to him. 
Uh, he's definitely a true fan. So we, you know, there's always some optimism in what we talk about, but there's always that pain of what this team puts us through or how they repay us for our loyalty. So it's always fun uh, to have him uh, on the show. So no other uh, notes uh, from me. So we're going to go on ahead and wrap this up quick. This was just about Lauren and I uh, reviewing what's happened thus far uh, this season. We did look ahead a little bit uh, to the remainder of the season uh, and, and what have you. But, uh, you know, we'll be back after the Vikings game to, to do it again and uh, talk about the, the second third of the season. Then we'll be back at the end of the year to review it all. So uh, come back on Monday when we'll preview or review, excuse me, review uh, week seven, Bears Raiders. Did we pull it together? Did we take advantage of the rookie quarterback in Aiden O'Connell? Or did the Raiders take care of our rookie and uh, send us back home with our sixth, sixth loss in seven games? So come back on Monday and find out about that. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground.